0: If that doesn't put Coach Meyer in a
1: bottle. (laughs) I swear to God. Goodness gracious. It's just the best motivator ever. (laughs) He's gotta make it up. The Glory Days Podcast, Dreams and Nightmares with Joshua Perry and Evan Spencer.
0: Hosted by Chris Caldwell.
2: Before we get started with this week's episode, a quick programming note to our listeners. Next week we're gonna try something a little different. Rather than release a full length episode on our podcast platforms, we're gonna make some bonus content available on our social platforms.
0: Yeah, that's right, Chris. And if listeners have ever wanted to know things like attending an Ohio State game as a recruit, Rod Smith's departure, logistics of going on the road, hearing from legends like Troy Smith and even Chris Carter, well, guess what? Next week, these stories and more are all going to be made available daily on our social channels.
2: So fans, remember, not just next week, but every day. You can find great content, updates, and more on Twitter at Glory Days Pod. That's all one word, at Glory Days Pod on Facebook at Glory Days Podcast and on Instagram at glory underscore days underscore pod. And remember,
0: we'll be back in two weeks on October 20th with a brand new full-length episode discussing critical games against Indiana and a snowy trip up to Minneapolis to play the Gophers.
2: Before we dive into this week's episode, I want to follow up on a couple quick things that were said last week as I think it's going to give listeners a unique view inside the OSU program first when we were discussing Michael Thomas he mentioned that there were a lot of things that he misses about Ohio State and one of those things were the best Friday practices Mm. now I've heard you guys say something like perfect Friday practices Mm -hmm. what what is the right term or can you describe what Friday practice is and what it's all about
0: it's best Fridays in football wasn't it Josh
2: yeah best fridays in football
0: so, so so there's there's the term and shoot i mean I, I can describe what our game was and then i give you kind of overarching uh you know we basically what it was is all of your your uh position groups went out there and you kind of just not screwed around but you competed a little bit with something that wasn't football yep. related and they, you know get out there move around run around the receivers we used to flip two uh trash cans over or like not flip them over but actually i like kind of put them right there about 15 yards apart and then we would play basketball but you could only take like three steps but we had to play with a football so like you know we would throw it to one guy we'd try to like set picks and like throw you know dunks and alley-oops and all that jazz but what it was was just a way to like kind of you know coach Myers did that like lock in and then kind of like widen your scope take a breath and then lock in you know as an ability to like still be competitive still work your juice a little bit um but get out there, have fun with your guys and kind of relax. Now, it's completely different than what Josh and them did. So, yeah, know, I'm sure he can speak to that. But, uh, you know, it was fun. And, you know, as, as Mike can probably attest, it's a lot different than a NFL Saturday morning walkthrough.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, that was that was kind of the deal. Um, we I, I actually used to go with the tight ends. So like half of the linebackers ended up going with Coach Hinton and the tight ends, and he had the the, the quarterback's net that he would throw the ball into. And we would try to see, like, who could make most of the throws. So, like, we would be, you know, we'd always start off with an easy one, be, like, 10 yards away, then we'd kind of back it up. We'd go from the side, so you'd have to, like, really drop it in there with some touch. We would do, like, a long ball. I was a long ball king, by the way. Uh, but we would do, like, a long ball. It was it was a ton of fun. Um, and, and to Evan's point, like, we did that intentionally because when you're in a game, you have to be, like, hyper-focused when you're on the field playing then you have to be hyper focused when you're on the sideline making adjustments but if the offense is on a really long drive you're not making adjustments the whole time so you know you're kind of sitting there just watching the game and like you let your guard down a little bit and you definitely do relax on the sideline like you let your mind get away from it but when it's your time to go back into the game you have to be able to lock back in so urban wanted us to be able to do something that was competitive to be able to do something that was fun but it really took our minds off of football but then, when it was time to go straight, because we would do that, and then we would go straight into practice. Mm-hmm. Like we would go into a walkthrough, we would do special teams, we would do offense, defense, we would do situations. You had to be able to lock in and do all of those perfect because there were no callbacks, there were no repeats on a Friday. You went through all of the looks, and you you got one shot at it. Had to be perfect. And then we moved on, and it was very different from like a Tuesday practice. That was mm-hmm. a bloody Tuesday, is what we called them. They were very physical, very intense. Right. It was the padded practice of the week. Um, in, MAs you know, are
0: okay, right? Yeah, because you know, we'll yes. get through the week and we'll work it out. Fridays, there's no balls on the ground, right. no MAs. Uh, right. MAs missed assignment, right? You know, hey, yep. I'm supposed to run a dig and I run a post. I'm supposed to run a curl and I ran a go. Um, you know, so it's it's taking that narrative, but you know, Coach Meyer, right? Again, he is a phenomenal leader, but he also yep. understands that it's more than just you know putting one foot in front of the other. Sometimes you got to train a um, a moment like being able to lock in and then yeah. lock out. But that, <laughs> if that's even that progression
1: thing. throughout the week, though, is huge because yeah. you're 100 percent right. Like Tuesdays, it was as physical as possible. Everything was as fast as possible. But you could make the mistake because it was your first time seeing it. So if you ran to the wrong gap, like you said, if you ran the wrong route, you didn't read the coverage properly. Your coach was they were fussing at you but it wasn't a big deal because you knew you had Wednesday, Thursday, Friday to get it corrected. By the time you hit Thursday, Thursdays had to be damn near perfect. You still mm-hmm. had one day to get the corrections in and get the look. If you made a mistake on a Friday, it was game over, yep. but Fridays were also supposed to be day to build confidence and have a lot of fun because you're heading right into game day.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Did you see anybody make mistakes on Friday that got replaced <laughs> in, in the starting lineup on that particular day?
0: in the starting lineup, I don't know, but
2: replaced <laughs> uh, You know,
0: what, you know
1: we, well, let me think a little bit harder
0: about how I want to answer that one. <laughs> we, I,
1: I'll say like I I watched on a Friday practice where <laughs> it was kind of bad, like there were a couple of guys who they like stepped the wrong way off the snap so they were behind on their gap and then they didn't finish the play properly. And Luke Fickle lost his fucking mind. Oh, yeah. He went nuts, and I'm I'm sure you guys could probably hear it on the other field. But like, I mean, oh, vein yeah, in his sure. neck, and he's like, "We're gonna lose the game if you play like that. You can't do it." And then it didn't even finish, and he's just going on and on. We're like, "Alrighty then." Yeah. So yeah. you know, you take a break, and and the leaders are like, "Hey." don't do that shit again because we're not getting yelled at like that again. So yeah, we've seen it.
2: Oh yeah. Did you see the coach's stress level go up during the week? I mean, they're a little bit more open, more understanding. I don't know if Tuesday. it's like their
0: stress level is going up because like, you know, Saturday is going to be this huge event that I'm not going to be able to handle or whatever. But I think it's just a kind of preparedness type of thing, okay. right? Like it's just like the intensity builds and you know, how life, if the um who's ever in charge of the most important gap in coach Myers' punt scheme on a friday steps the wrong way right your, your ass probably isn't going to be there i mean if you want me to start pulling on moments i can't but i i do remember cam burrows name getting screamed a couple times i remember <laughs> you know myself i remember uh Corey smith right i remember i mean you know but it's it, it's kind of football too it's just more or less about you know training the moment of um uh kind of anxiety almost sure. uh, and getting the best out of yourself when it's, when it's called, when your number's called.
2: <laughs> well, you get more drama on Tuesday as the first ever college football playoff rankings are released. And as we've talked about before, the initial rankings are not kind to the Buckeyes who check in at number 16 in the initial poll. But for the listeners, a reminder that the college football playoff that year replaced the Bowl Championship Series, whose previous model was based on a mixture of polling and a computer algorithm that nobody could seem to figure out (laughs) (laughs) the new system relies on a 13 member selection committee consisting of ad's former players and coaches and journalists now before we get into reactions a trivia question for you guys (laughs) can you remember either one of you who the top ranked team was in the initial college football playoff rankings and i'll give you a hint it was an sec team
1: it was probably a fraud uh, d- d-
0: d- 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 was it Georgia?
2: Uh Joshua, you have any guess? Evan, I'll say that's not the answer, but damn close. It. So if I
1: had to guess, that was when Dakota Prescott was balling uh, out. Nice. So I'm saying right. it was Mississippi State.
2: It was. It was ah. Mississippi State, followed by the defending national champion, Florida State Seminoles with Jameis Winston. Well done, Josh. Auburn third, and Old Miss fourth. So you got three out of four teams from the SEC. There is a lot to unpack here.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, pause. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there in and of itself.
2: Continue. (laughs) Because as we know, overcoming this initial ranking is one of the many factors that make the 2014 team story so special. Now Joshua you said there you know there isn't any way to avoid seeing things like this. In fact you said the TV would be set to ESPN during training table. Mm-hmm. If you guys can remember just because again it's the first one that comes out. Set the scene for us when you heard of the ranking release.
0: Well, I mean, so like, okay, so we had just gotten redone all of our stuff. It's irrelevant. We have TVs everywhere in the Woody. That's the important part. Yep. So whether it's training table, whether it's where we get our snacks, whether we get our loops, all that stuff, there's TVs all over the place. So I, if I, if my memory serves me correctly, it was kind of one of those deals where, you know, we're done with practice. We're going up and going to get training table and you know nobody's really making hoopla about it from like the coaches or any of the staff but like it's kind of like one of those you're like mm, okay yeah like I'm eating my mac and cheese or something but I'm looking up at seeing that uh, you know what Stephen A is commenting on what the committee said or something like that so um you know it's we're all human you you, you can't uh, uh, you can't avoid it in, entirely but I don't I don't think there was much of a narrative being made up about it from um the coaches' standpoint much at all
1: and I, I think you're exactly right. And I would add to that that I was sitting there and I was looking at some of the teams and I was like, okay, three out of the SEC, that's hype. Like mm-hmm. that's that's all that was was hype. And that was just kind of my mentality about it. And you know, we were we were gonna come as a Tuesday, we we're gonna get ready for corrections right. on a Wednesday practice and go out there and ball and do what we had to do. But there was no oh man, can you believe it? And all this is just like, all right.
3: So okay, yeah. cool. Yeah.
2: I, I would just thought somebody would be running the numbers. You're saying to yourself, three out of the four teams are NCC teams, just like you said, Joshua. And then those teams are going to end up playing each other anyway. Mississippi yeah. always plays Mississippi State at the end of the year. Auburn's yeah. going to have to play Alabama. You know, Alabama's going to yeah. be there somehow. So, all,
0: all I'm going to say is the fact that, like, you know, the stage was already set for um, us from the standpoint of, like, hey, if we tackle what we tackle in front of us, that'll be enough. Right. Like, because yeah. at the end of the day, you know, one of the, uh, The underlying thoughts here was like yeah we're playing illinois we're going to go out there and we're going to have an efficient game but we have michigan state and that's the game that we need to make a big splash on the you know in in the world of college football so i think that like yes mathematically we're ticking off all the boxes of how it could get done but we still knew that like all right well if i get better on that inside nine that i just ran in tuesday's practice and we get it corrected tomorrow well that's going to help me in illinois but more importantly it's going to help me in michigan state what's actual which is actually um, the thing that's going to help us get to the ship if we're trying to get there.
1: And, geez, and I to can't... that point, I was going to jump in on that. Like, Go ahead. I think Urban did such a, a wonderful job for us setting expectations early on that you win the conference and all of your dreams and goals are ahead of you. And so what Evan was saying was absolutely true. It's like, OK, we've got Illinois. That's a game that obviously we're you know going to be heavily favored in need to win that. Michigan State is going to determine our ability to play for a Big Ten championship. And so we had mm-hmm. to make sure that we were preparing to to get to those type of milestones, because if we could knock those down, we wouldn't have any conference losses. We would be able to play in a Big Ten championship. And then who knows, a one loss team might make it in at the end. And that was really, really thinking far out. But like for us, it was, mm-hmm. hey, just keep chugging through the Big Ten. We'll be good.
0: Yeah, because that was the that was the card we dealt ourselves. If it's a domino, we can't like knock over one domino and then skip it. Four dominoes in front and knock over those couple. Like we got to knock this one over, slam that fucking
2: one down, and then keep yep. going and keep going. All right, one quick thing before we move on. If you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe, follow, and give us a download on your favorite podcasting app.
0: It's easy to do. Just navigate to Glory Days, Dreams and Nightmares on your podcasting platform and hit subscribe or follow, and you'll be able to see all of our newest updates right when they drop. Then remember to download each episode so you can take our show wherever you go.
2: One more time, remember to subscribe and download the Glory Days podcast, Dreams and Nightmares, to listen to the newest episodes as soon as possible. Well, let's move on to the Illinois game, which, is, which you guys win in dominating fashion 55 to 14. OSU rolls to a 31-0 halftime lead, which allows some of the non-starters to play a lot in the second half. Defense continues to dominate. You hold Illinois to 243 yards, which is almost 150 below their average. You force four turnovers, and you have 11 tackles for loss. The offense rolls again. It more than doubles Illinois' total offense, 545 yards. JT throws for two TDs. Cardell gets in in the second half. He throws for two TDs, and Devin Smith has two TD receptions. When looking back at this game, I think there are two things that really stand out as outstanding or, or things I want to dive into a little bit further. Number one, Curtis Samuel is to the media, again, not from people inside the program, a surprise starter at running back. Urban said, Stan Drayton, Stan Drayton came to me in the middle of the week and said, I'd like to start Curtis Samuel this week. He's doing everything right. He practices at an extremely high level we still have great confidence in Zeke, but we have to, we have two guys that can play. So Zeke the week before against Michigan state runs for 110 yards. I asked this a second ago. Um, how often does a change like this happen where a guy has a good game the week before, but he gets replaced maybe in practice, or was this just Curtis Samuel's got to play? And I know um, coaches, but you know, what yeah,
0: was- he, well, he's got to play. Right. But sure. you know, I, a couple things, right? If we're playing strategic football and we're trying to make a run to go play it, you know, for a national title at the end of the day, we have to show diversity in film. Every play that you go put out there is analyzed by all your opponents, right? So if if, if I want to further show diversity that we can put new running backs in and start with them and, and slightly mold our running game to fit that style a little bit better, it makes you have to plan for that, right? So it kind of you know, widens that potential possibility of what could happen in, in in any given day, but I think that like again, like Curtis Samuel started his you know run on hey I'm here Ohio State way back like you know, obviously in in offseason training, but when we played Rutgers right like he came out there and balled and showed that he was a dominant player in space. So from then on, whether it's special teams plays, making tackles on kickoff or punt, um, practice, finishing out all of his runs, emulating Zeke, because that's exactly what Zeke does. It's of no shame or fault or, hey, Zeke, you, you know, you should have got 230 instead of 220, whatever. Right. It's more of <laughs> like, hey, man, we have one of the baddest ass running back rooms in the in the country. Let's diversify this film a little bit and let's further scare defenses that we're going to have to play against
2: does starting matter um team focus does starting, if you get to play and you contribute joshua talked about how you know it was great in the penn state game the fact that yeah he had 18 tackles but it meant more that the team defense gave up a half a yard on a team focus does starting matter
0: it does to a certain extent but i would say what's You know, I mean, just look at it, right? Like you look at D line. They, you know, they do like a line shift almost every four plays. Receivers, if we go run a deep route, Jalen gets to come in right after. I'm tired, and you know, quarterbacks can't do that, but running backs are, you know, kind of the same. So, yes, it matters. But I think that so long as that you're putting the work in on special teams and in at practice you're showcasing to the coaches how you can help influence the game. And the coaches are going to be the one that puts you in there. So yes, it matters. But at the end of the day, we rotate so much that dudes are going to get in and get reps. It's, you know, long gone are the days of, you know, I formation where the you know, fullback and running back, both are going to have, um, I don't know, 60 plays combined or not combined, but each, right. You know, so since that's gone, um, a lot more guys get opportunities.
2: You're on a team with three, four, and five-star players. So they're, everybody on the Ohio State team is probably the man in their league. Did you see people that couldn't handle that very well? Not starting. Handle that. Meaning,
1: what, you know. Not starting?
2: Yeah, not starting, yeah. being you know, pissed off in practice. And I guess my question yeah. to that is, did you see it? And then how did you get those guys right?
1: Some guys just end up transferring out, mm-hmm. to be completely honest. Like, you see that? Um, and we had that actually in – the linebacker room for my class, 2012, I think we brought in five linebackers in our class Dang. because there were a couple of us that had committed to Tress that I don't think Urban was very high on. Myself is included in that conversation. And he was trying to create the the competition to run guys out. So um, three guys ended up transferring out, out of the five. Uh, Luke Roberts went to Harvard. And more power to him because it's a great school. Um, Jamal Marcus ended up transferring to Akron and actually had his shot at playing in the league. And then David Perkins went to, like, Illinois State or something. And then he still had a shot. And I think he was in training camp with the Seattle Seahawks at one point. So, I mean, it was all good players. Like, all five of us ended up being solid players. Um, but three of the five, I think for Luke, it just it wasn't a culture fit as much as anything else. But the other two guys felt like, you know, Jamal had some social issues, but David had social issues, too. Uh, But he felt like he wanted to go and ball somewhere. So, I mean, it's a combination. you got to be the right fit. It's got to be the right culture. But, like, I think you also start to have some of those social issues when you're not engaged with the team Mm -hmm. and you feel like you're not getting your fair shot. That's when you start to see guys who don't care about class or, you know, like, hey, if I fail a drug test, it is what it is because they're not engaged. Yeah. And they end up leaving, they go have fine careers elsewhere, and they still get their chances. But some guys just can't handle that. They don't, it's not that they don't like competition. It's the fact that, you know, they're so used to being the man. Like, if I'm not starting, I can start somewhere else. Mm
2: -hmm. Well, it brings into question the second point I wanted to bring up, which was about Cardell Jones. He gets to play the second half. He throws for two touchdowns. And in the Big Ten network program on the 2014 team, he had talked about the fact that JT was balling out, he was playing great, and Cardell was possibly looking to go find his place somewhere else. He comes in that week, he throws two touchdowns. How was he handling being the backup? Because Joshua and Evan, you guys talked about how heading into spring practice, he was the backup. And mm-hmm. then after spring practice, he's, you know, third string or or close to the co- quarterback competition is open How's he handling all this? Cause he comes in and again, throws for two touchdown passes and we know yeah. what he's going to bring to the team at the end of the year. Do you guys remember how he was doing? Well, I mean,
0: I think that, you know, Josh can fill in any holes that I don't, but <clears throat> there's one, there's one position that we mentioned that doesn't rotate like, you know, others do. And that's, that's that quarterback one. So yes, that existed um, to say that there wasn't, you know, things that Cardell was internally battling with because he, he's like, Hey man, I got talent. You know, I just want to put some plays on film you know heck we're beating out Illinois so maybe I can go throw a couple touchdowns maybe this is enough film to you know get my name out there in case I got to pull that trigger um you know but ultimately it wasn't like he had any lack of faith trust or um you know give a shit factor for JT or Braxton or me or Josh or any of us I mean it's just kind of back you know boils back down to hey you know I still want to get my chance to put reps out there and um you know sometimes the the opportunities, the guys I'm going against aren't going to be the, um, you know, the best for me to, 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 to get those. So, um, you know, obviously circumstance happened as it did later in the year. Um, and there was no way he could have known that, but, you know, I'm sure that there was a lot of mental battles that he and Braxton both were dealing
1: with. Yeah. And I, I talked to Cardale about that too. And one of the things that he told me, which I, I found very interesting was that he didn't like the way that he was being framed to the team and to the media at times is like somebody who didn't work hard or was irresponsible or was goofy or whatever. And obviously the tweet had something to do with that, but like Cardale for all of the, the dumb things that he may have done, he owned every single one of his actions. He, he didn't do it and then try to blame it on somebody else, or it's not my fault, or, you know, it's, you know, I'm a victim of circumstance or whatever. It was like, He would do some dumb shit and then he would be like, yes, I did that. Um, Probably should not have done that. And I'm going to try to make sure I don't do that again type of guy. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you look at the Cardale Jones story as it's been written, I don't know if you really get that side of Cardale's ownership of his journey. And so I think part of his frustration wasn't just the lack of playing time, but he felt like um, he, he didn't he felt like he didn't get to tell part of his story. Um, the way that it really happened. And, and I always appreciated Cardell for the fact that, um, cause I, you know, we're in the same class and everything. So I got to know him pretty well. Like <laughs> we'd be sitting over at the, the Yunkin for tutoring and he'd be like, I'd be asking him questions. And he's like, he's like, yeah, man. He's like, you know, I tried to tell him, he's like, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a dick. He's like, I'm, I'm really trying to show them that I'm owning this. He's like, but they're not trying to hear me right now. So it's like, that's a frustrating process. Yeah. But, um, yeah he was all in though I mean he was a guy And you can ask him You could ask his coach Where he was in every meeting engaged He had his notebook full Like he was ready to go And that's why he played so well When it was his time Cause you know he's sitting around for a year mm-hmm. People act like he was sitting In those meetings Not doing a damn thing He was sitting in there Preparing
2: to be a starter In case it was time For him to become a starter yeah. One quick thing Before we move on Here's how you can find us On social media At Twitter At Glory Days Pod That's all one word At Glory Days Pod On Instagram At glory underscore days underscore pod, and on Facebook at Glory Days Podcast. So, as the game ends, it doesn't take long for the players' attention to be shifted to the up upcoming Big Ten game of the year at Michigan State. And in the post game locker room for Illinois, there are two quotes that stand out. First is from the human quote machine, Darren Lee. Uh, (laughs) He says, it was right when we got into the locker room. We usually have our coaches talk about who was good on O, who was good on defense, and who was good on special teams. We skipped all of that. We know what's coming up this week. It's on, honestly. (laughs) Then they go over to JT, and JT says, last year they got us in the Big Ten championship, and that was what we rallied around in the offseason. So I want to take that for a second. JT talks about rallying around this in the off season and Darren Lee says it's on in the Mm -hmm. Illinois post game locker room. When did you guys start preparing for Michigan state?
0: When we were in the locker room in 2013 and you know, I had to try to look Ryan Shazier in the eyes and say, damn dude, I'm not going to be able to play with you anymore. You know, watch him have to hug his coach and this, that and the other. Right. So That's when it started for me, right? Like obviously, you know, game ends, we get to go play Michigan State. Great. We don't need to talk about what we just did. We did our jobs. Fantastic. All of that is there and existed, right? But, you know, a couple episodes ago, we talked about the importance of that, um, you know, where we are, the State of the Union video where we did nothing but watch us get our ass kicked by Michigan State at the end of that fourth quarter. And then, you know, by, um, you know, relative standards that with Clemson in the bowl game. So. Um, you know, this is a very tamped down, uh, emotionally, um, speaking <laughs> version of it, but that's what we all had circled in our minds. You know, that was the game that we were all looking forward to.
1: Yeah. And, and you talk about tamped down emotionally, I'm going to say this, and this is me in 2020 looking back, um, those bastards took something from me twice, mm-hmm. you know, there was 2013, where they beat us and they took a, a an opportunity for us to play in a national championship game, which we didn't have the opportunity to do the year before. Yep. Right. So that's two years now that we felt like we had that taken from us. And then in 2015, again, so it, it and just to provide the context now overall, is really four years in a row that the Buckeyes could have been competing in a national championship uh, in Michigan State took that opportunity twice and they beat us fair and square Uh you know it is what it is but like there was no love lost heading into that 2014 game because we already felt that level of disdain Uh from the 2013 matchup
2: well that's why you just talked about four years of Michigan State and I think from a fan's perspective the argument could be made during this time period that although Michigan is the rival Michigan State was the Big Ten opponent that gave you guys the most heartache. Mm -hmm. But the coaches really kind of tried to play it down a little bit. You had Urban saying, we have one rival here. And then Mark D'Antonio saying, you know, our rivals right here, right now are Michigan and Notre Dame. And that's how we see our rivals at Michigan State. Coaches, again, clearly downplaying this. Did you guys see Michigan State as your rival in addition to Michigan? And it's tough to... to Yeah, it's tough. and, And honestly, we... From a fan's perspective,
0: we'd all want to see the, you know, the, the, the ground shifting slightly just in terms of rivalry. But I think those are entrenched for a reason, right? Yeah. Yes. Now, are certain games more competitive than others? Sure. Um. You know, do we still play those teams every year similar than we play the rival at the end of the year? Sure. Uh. But I think that, you know, the, the narrative that Coach Meyer and especially Coach D'Antonio were trying to set was that like, hey, this is a big game. This is the biggest game for both of our teams this year and, you know, maybe for our programs in the last couple of years. We got to focus on doing our jobs and seeing if we can win first down for four quarters. Um, You know, and I again right to that focus that you were talking about earlier, you know, reflecting back seems crazy now. But if you're thinking about it, if I can isolate my job into what I have to do next and nothing else, it starts to simplify things and then you can start rolling from there.
2: Well, well, take me back. Let's go back for one second to the 2013 Big Ten championship game. Sure. Where Michigan State spoils. <laughs> come on, you're gonna make it. Us us I'm sorry, I swear, know. Damn. I'm sitting over here, ready to jump <laughs> up out of like, this ding. Come, come on, man. Right like, why do you have to do that right now? All <laughs> I want to know is one thing: was there anything that the Michigan State players did in that game that maybe turned you off? I mean, were they carrying themselves in a certain way? Just again, thinking about that, if the loss wasn't enough, something that kind of would fuel you guys, because uh, I've heard Duran Grant say in the 2014 game that Tony Lippett was. An epic trash talker, but he shut the F up when Durant shut him down in the first couple hmm. of years. Yeah. Did they handled themselves in a certain way that made you guys say, hey, man, you guys aren't the kings of the mountain. We are.
1: Well, I'll, I'll say for me, reflectively, it wasn't anything on the field. It was after the game where it started for me that really just fucking it pissed me off and it got under my skin because I, I was a kid who grew up in Columbus. Um, Big Ten fan my whole life, and I had always dreamed of playing in a Rose Bowl. So they're running around post game, they're getting the damn trophies, and they're talking about players of the game, and they've got the roses in their mouths because they're they're going to play in the Rose Bowl. And that image really fucking lit me up. And I never got to play in a Rose Bowl, and part of that was the transition into the college football playoff. That was one thing that I had always dreamed of doing and never got a chance to do. And I watched those guys in 2013. You know, they they had their roses. They were going out there to Pasadena. And for some reason, that image just it really tore me. And, up. and
0: that was our trip, man. Like at the end of the day. Right. We were undefeated for two seasons up until that point. So in our minds, we were so next step to the next step to the next step. We didn't really expect something like that to happen. Right. You always got to get punched in the mouth to be a better person on the back end of it. But. We did get punched in the mouth. And, and to that end, right, I mean, like, I think we play Dequez Denard and, um, shit, what's the other guy's name? Trey Wayne. Um, Denard probably talked a little bit more than Trey Wayne's did, but I've never in my life played against a corner that held as bad as Trey Wayne's did. Trey Wayne, Trey yeah. Wayne's whatever the hell his name is. Um, But, goodness gracious. Now, speaking-wise, so, eh, I mean, it was average. I, I mean, they're respectful. They, they got a good coach. Uh, but no, I I, I think Duran had a, a different experience defensively than I but did that, on offense.
1: It's interesting that you bring that up, though, about the defense, because I, I wasn't even thinking about this, but I know our secondary was was real tight about that. No fly zone mm-hmm. thing they had going on mm-hmm. there. Like, I yeah. know that well, was yeah. something yeah, yeah, that yeah. that really fired those guys up too. like I know Duran personally had things to say about the no fly zone moniker that. They had taken on at Michigan State and they had a, a fantastic secondary and Urban has even said yeah, it's the duke. reason why we transition our our coverage into that that quarters coverage that Michigan State played is because it's so good. Yeah. But I, I feel like our guys in our secondary at Ohio State definitely took that um, as a little bit of disrespect that nobody was talking about them as being the best secondary in the big time
0: as receivers we wore that too like we wanted to shut them the hell up so like in 13 that's what made that feel even worse right like you know it just is what it is
2: when you talk about them saying hey things like no fly zone there Mm -hmm. is a story about when coach meyer was at florida in his book urban's way when they were getting ready to prepare to play ohio state in that national championship game i believe it was in 2006 2007. He basically took a 10-foot message board and put up all the quotes that were disrespecting his University of Florida team. He said that he even made up a few quotes about Kirk Herbstreit <laughs> and what they were saying.
1: And he, If that doesn't put Coach Meyer in a bottle. That's <laughs> swear to God. Gracious. It's just the best motivator ever. <laughs> He's got to make it well, up. That's
2: where I wanted to go with this was that did he do anything either that week or where you saw him take these types of messages that other teams were saying, put them in front of you at training table or another time where you could not avoid them. Mm-hmm. Cause he loves an angry team. Yeah. Did, you, did he do that during Michigan state week or can you expound upon that? Did he ever do that for another opponent where he just, the motivation was so out there and overt that yeah, you recognized it.
0: Slight left or slight curveball here, Josh. I think he did, but through Coach Combs and through the start of our special teams meeting. Because you remember sometimes oh, when we would start, Coach Combs would be all hot and bothered about a whole bunch of things. But like he'd start pulling quotes and start pulling all these other things. I could almost bet that it was kind of through the, you know, the grapevines of a conversation with Coach Meyer yeah. there. Um, but now you know, coach it, combs it, it, used to come was, through with the receipts yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god coach combs god love him he always had you know a narrative and some yeah. kind of motivational yeah. like toy soldier whatever to take it was <laughs> Something. yeah But god love him. um but yeah no i mean i,
1: I think urban style with us was mostly like he was going to get in front of us and he he was going to be in our face whether that was in the team meeting whether that was before or after practice Like he was, it wasn't a a quote board. It wasn't anything like that. It was like, I'm going to fucking tell you what they said. And then I'm going to look into your eyes and see if it really matters to you. Like, I I think that was his approach.
2: Well, how did he prepare you differently this week than he does for Illinois? Because as you guys know, you're an underdog for this game. You're an underdog by three points. He never lost as an underdog, never lost as an underdog. And we all know your last three games of the season against Wisconsin, um, Alabama and Oregon, you guys were underdogs. I'm interested to hear how he prepares you guys differently as an underdog and how that's a key to your success. What does he do differently versus like when you're playing Illinois?
0: Um, In a smaller example, this one particularly, we had seven days, we'll call it, of preparation for Illinois. We had 365 days for Michigan State. Um, That's the biggest difference there. You know, he didn't need to say too much. Additionally, to what he probably needed to do to get ready for Tuesday or ready for Wednesday or ready for Thursday, yeah, because we all were gutted last year and we had uh, uh, a very common reminder per videos and uh, <laughs> highlight reels and all this other stuff for a whole year that got us ready to kick their ass. So, you know, I, I just think that that was the biggest difference there. Now, as underdogs, th- that speaks to the culture, um, you know, right in there, right? Like, just we not that we say we like to have our backs pushed against a wall, but we're always, we yeah, we're always the most competitive when those situations happen.
1: Yeah. And it was, it was always so funny too. Cause like urban really wouldn't say that much about the underdog piece either. He would just be like, he'd be like, yeah. And, and we're underdogs. F- the, the other team's favorite. He's like, I don't think they're better than we are. And then he would just leave it at that. And that was enough for us. Like that was a signal that we needed. Like, all right, they don't believe Uh in us. Like, okay. Uh
2: All right, cool. Did you guys hear coach Meyer this weekend? Uh, He was talking about the situation that's going on at Michigan. And he says, he says he hates it when people (laughs) say that they don't have good players and they don't have good coaches. He talks about the importance of alignment up and down through the entire organization that the Mm -hmm. coaches are all walking in the same direction and the players are all walking in the same direction Bingo. sounds like culture sounds
1: like culture at work to me and i was gonna say like urban you talk about spread offenses and and different things and he gets up on the grease board and when he's drawing up plays you know it's 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 a thing that i really uh, love and appreciate because i'm you know x and o type of guy Um, Urban was not a great coach because he knew how to call offense or he knew how to draw up plays because I can find you a bunch of guys who could do that. Mm. Urban is one of the best who has ever done it because he knows how to build a system and he knows how to implement it within an organization. Almost as good as anybody ever, probably better than maybe two, three, four other coaches who have ever coached college football. Mm. And that is the example right there is the and, and like I'll, I'll use one of my guys mike sabini mm-hmm. um you know he was a walk-on guy from florida wasn't ever going to really play at ohio state and this guy was like bought in so deeply like he would be in the locker room crying after games and stuff didn't go out there but like blood sweat and tears tuesday wednesday thursday during practice um, mm-hmm. that level of buy-in is so unique it doesn't exist Anywhere else. Most college programs can't create that. There aren't organizations in business typically that can create that level of buy in. And Urban has done it. He did it at Bowling Green. He would tell the stories and his former players have told the stories there. And he's brought guys along that he built relationships with at Bowling Green, did it at Utah, did it at Florida, did it at Ohio State. And there's a reason why he can pick whatever coaches and there's a reason why his former players always come back and want to talk to the team and want to come to practice. Um, and I'm going off on a tangent here, but that that level of buy-in is is why it's representative of 2014. It's the reason why we went into East Lansing in prime time and won. It's the reason why we were able to do the the Big Ten Championship and the Sugar Bowl and the national title. Because um, our guys, w- like we we were drinking the Kool Aid, mm. you know, like we were we were taking large doses of it. Damn sure
2: he was talking about a time when he was at university of Florida, when he was walking out to practice and it's a little bit of a sidebar, but I think it was a year the Gators had three or four losses. And as he was walking out to practice, one of the players said to him, Hey, you know what? One of the coaches telling was telling me offline that we should try this player. We should try that play. And it really wasn't in, urban scheme of things that he wanted to talk about. And he said he knew right then that his team was not going to be successful because his coaches and his players were not in alignment with Mm -hmm. what the game plan was going to be moving forward. It's It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, It's amazing. It is. Um, Let's, let's jump to pregame at the stadium though. Mm -hmm. So before we can even get to on the field on game day, Mark D'Antonio goes on ESPN and says, we got a win coming. And that is very much unlike Mark D'Antonio. Were you guys aware of this kind of comment or were you guys so focused by game day that you're like, "Ah, it doesn't matter what he says.
0: Mm, I don't remember the comment. And, and, and that is definitely out of character um, for the type of coaching style that, that he was, but I think he saw it as a, a pivotal, um, kind of program changing event for, for him and his guys, you know, they were rated higher than us. They, you know, uh, we're favored to win all that other stuff so why not throw something you know a little spicy from a media standpoint that's also different than what you would expect as well and maybe it strengthens my guys maybe we get a little uh off of it and you know kick their butt uh here tonight which didn't happen but um so it's spicy right oh yeah you gotta spice some things up right now
2: and then you know what i mean uh, <laughs> it, it just stands out because you never heard urban or tress do that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it just seems so unlike Mark
0: D'Antonio. Because D'Antonio is a spinning image of trust. So I'm with you. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, as you guys get to the field, what what is the atmosphere like on the field during pregame? I mean, are are Michigan State players and Ohio State players John back at back and forth? Or is it a pretty mm-hmm. clean scenario as you're heading into the locker room prior to the start of the game?
0: Um, I do remember like, you know. Because their locker room's weird where, like, both of us come out of the same tunnel. So, like, naturally both of our locker rooms are in the same place. So I remember there was, like, some kind of scuffle where dudes were trying to run up to the door and see what was going on just because guys were, like, passing back and forth. But nothing crazy. Um, You know, again, stuff like that that boils over into, like, big moments are – uh, most of the time, Michigan, or when we go play, you know, teams and in, in bowl games and stuff like that. And for the most part, the Michigan State's of the world, because of um, you know who they have leading their programs and you know um, how those folks were taught to lead other folks, uh, you don't see too much of it uh, boil over that often, at least in the Big Ten, that is.
2: Well, before you guys take the field, Coach Meyer said in his book Above the Line uh, that a friend of the show and host of the Captain's Perspective, Curtis Grant gave a very impassioned pregame speech. It was Here's the quote. We need every single one of y'all bringing everything y'all got because I'm going to put it out there tonight, bro. We're going 100 miles an hour tonight. We got to win something, man. Do or die tonight. Do or die. This game determines the rest of our season. It's another big stage in our life we got to tackle. I love you all, man. Let's go. You guys remember this speech at all? Uh, Seeing Curtis particularly animated during the pregame? Is there anything that stands out about it?
0: I mean, what stands out about it to me is the fact that, like, you know, just Curtis with his situation, being as emotional and physical leader as he was, but also having young guys that compete and need to be on the field as well. But to say, hey, man, I'm poor. Like, I'm – they're going to have to kill me on this field in order for us Mm -hmm. to lose. They're going to have to kill me on this field to convert on fourth and one. They're going to kill me on this field to convert on third and four. Right. But like that attitude, like, you know, it sounds crazy because I just said it three times, but I'm telling you right now, like I look some dudes in the face in the receiver room and I'm like, listen guys, like, fucking throw my way run behind me dog because I'm on one right now and you know it's time and, you know we got to go and you know it's feeding off of that emotion that Curtis had and you know being able to say shit he's got a situation but damn look at that dude he's ready to roll you know okay I, yeah I watched all that tape and all that video about them Rose roses in their fucking mouth for a reason like it's time to actually let these bullets fly
2: and you know gosh darn it we did well, well how does that process work when someone wants to kind of address the team, was that just a spur of the emotion thing? <laughs> when well, you want to address they, the they team. They file a quarrel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Girl, chill out. <laughs> that is hilarious. <laughs> I'm, I'm more or less asking, like, is is does Coach Meyer say to somebody like, "Hey, the, you know, maybe before the game, maybe it's good for you to say something," or does somebody so, say, "I really got something to say." I not the final quorum. That's hilarious.
1: <laughs> captains, <laughs> captains usually had the, um, they usually had the floor when coaches were done. You know, because there's there's one guy who like they break it down in the locker room. And then there's another guy who like break it down on the field typically. Um, And so, you know, once coach is done talking, like if you're if you're Curtis Grant and you got something to say or if you're Evan Spencer and you've got something to say, or even if you're the quarterback, JT Barrett, you're not captain yet. You got something to say. That's your time. So typically coach would be done. Curtis would get up. And we said, all right, Curtis was going to give us a damn sermon. That's what we were going to get from him. You know, and and, and that's typically how it went. But like, there's a, there's definitely a a line of succession where, you know, like, all right, coach is done. Like, if you're a real dude and you're a true leader in the locker room, you got something to say.
2: And it's usually one guy because you can only really handle one of those before it's time to go. And as you said, Joshua, Curtis was that one guy many times in 2014. Let's hear his side of the story and get some context behind his sermon. Here's the captain's perspective with Curtis Grant.
3: I believe at this time, Michigan State was undefeated in the Big Ten Conference, and we were too. So it's just triggering my mind, like, yo, guys, like, if we want to win, some of these guys are in the way. Like, we, we have to get, it. if we want to get to the Rose Bowl, we have to win. Green and white, Michigan State, Sparty was in our way. And the only way to be able to succeed and, and, and hold up that national championship, they were in our way. So if we didn't come together and and play, we wouldn't have never won a national championship. But they played their ass off at the beginning. We ended up, you know, coming out on top. And after that, we, we wanted to start steamrolling people because that was another burst of energy. It's like, okay, we got that we got that weight off our back. We got pl- we got a whole lot more weight to go. Let's keep going.
2: Well, let's set the scene for the matchup. You guys are 14th ranked, 7 and 1, a 3-point underdog versus the number 8th ranked 7 and 1 Michigan State. It's interesting that their only loss at this point is to a team you guys would see later on in the year, Oregon. They lost to them at Oregon 46-27. It's got all the usual big game pomp and circumstance. It's got an 8 p.m. kickoff. You've got a full stadium at Spartan Stadium. It's nationally televised on ABC ESPN. Uh, in the first quarter, OSU gets the ball first. Unfortunately, misses a 47-yard field goal, which gives Michigan State the ball back. They drive 70 yards. They get a 16-yard touchdown pass to take a lead 7-0. And Urban has said at this point, it was clear that you guys were a little bit too hyped for this game, is anybody calming you guys down or is it situation, you know, positional coaches talking to you? What's what's it like if you can remember? And I'm not expecting mm. you to, but you know, being down seven nothing on sure. the sidelines in a big game?
0: It's just flow, right? Like rely on the fact that there's a ton of game in front of you. And, you know, again, right, like we're it's not like we're gonna go play you know, the sisters of the poor, or Rooker or something like that. You know, like we're playing a team. So at the end of the day, they're going to get a couple. <laughs> so it's they about, guys it's about how we respond and the E plus R equals O a couple of episodes ago, right? But like right now it's, Hey, yes, we're pissed. It's clear as day. We're pissed. Uh, you know, we, we brought too much energy into this thing. Great. Okay. Well, take a breath. Josh, we're still going to get first down once the defense goes back there. Evan, we're still going to get first down once the offense goes back out there. And do your damn job. That's enough. These yeah. guys aren't better than yeah. you at doing your job. So if you do it, you win. And that's what, you know, that was- depending on the flow. That's, that's what all that means.
2: I want to give you that props Luke- for throwing out a Gordon Gee reference there in the Little Sisters of the Poor. <laughs> <laughs>
0: awesome. Yeah, I'm going all, 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 kind of, all kind of directions today, yeah. man. I love it. Um,
1: Luke Fickle, I, I think I said this before in talking about him being down the field in his play calling convention. Uh, but, but one of the things that he did really well was he was able to be in tune with players like he could feel us. That's how he knew when to call blitzes on the field, when to maybe play a little bit of coverage to give certain guys a break, like different things. He was very, very smart when it came to that. But one of the things that he could tell is when we were too hyped up and Luke was awesome, and he it was the opposite, we were flat. Luke knew that too, and he would get in our ass. But, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, he, he would be like, guys, play the game. He said, this is why you practice all week long is to play the game. And that would kind of just like settle everybody in, like, all right, let's, let's yeah. take a deep breath and let's do what we know how to do.
2: Well, ABC had a very interesting take um, at this point. They said, heading into this game, Ohio State has the least amount of missed tackles in all of college football with 32. Josh, there you go. I've heard Joshua talk about the defense in prior years. Now, again, that's eight games. That's basically only four missed tackles a game. Why were you guys so good in 2014 versus 2013. Was this that new scheme that Chris Ash had put in in terms of tackling people kind of above the waist? I remember reading something about that. Joshua, can you give any kind of insight into maybe why you guys were so much better in making tackles?
1: It was an elite emphasis on tackling and how to tackle and where your leverage is I guess so where your outside support is, where your inside support is. Um, and so it was a, a different technique that we used. It was basically how we would describe it as cheek to cheek. So the cheek of my face on the ass cheek of the player I'm trying to tackle, we would we would kill their legs by wrapping around the thighs. And then we would drive our legs for five steps. And if if we were getting them. So that's like if you're you're getting them kind of like squared up you know that's how you want to do it if you're getting them coming from an angle toward the side it's a lot of the same thing it's cheek to cheek you're killing their legs but instead of driving for five you're wrapping and then you're you're rolling your body and that allows you to keep your head out of the tackle but it also it it secures it because if you slide down and you're wrapping and rolling you get to that foot and you get to that ankle area and that doesn't like to to roll a specific way and so no. players tend to go down um, then there was the emphasis on If you're somebody, which I was a leverage player a lot of times, I had to hold the edge to make sure nothing could get outside of me. Um, So I had a a certain way I could tackle with the inside half of my body. I could not tackle with the outside half of my body. I had to keep the outside half of my body free. Um, If you were somebody who was coming inside out, you could tackle with the inside part of your body, but not, I guess, you know, like the, the other side. And then there was always somebody who would be filling right through the middle. So there was really supposed to be three points of force on the tackle as well. And when you emphasize gang tackling and knowing what player you are and where your leverage is, but also that you should at any point making a tackle, there should technically be two other players at least there to support you. You can shoot your shot and you can work on your fundamentals knowing that maybe if I'm not perfect on this, there should be two other guys, so it's not going to be a missed tackle. It's going to be a gang tackle. It was was really cool shit, really, really unique, and I'd never seen it taught like that anywhere else. Even when I went to the league, I don't think they emphasized – all of the leverage in the tackling the way that we did there, but we were an elite tackling team. Was that brought by Chris Ash? That was Chris Ash 100%. And it's not to say that, um, you know, our, our other coaching staff didn't emphasize tackling, they didn't have the system down the way that Chris did.
2: You guys got the ball back, and on third and 23, there is an unbelievable 43 yard opposite shoulder reception by Devin Smith. Mm. Uh, I think people could argue oh, that, yeah, that was yeah, one yeah, of, yeah. The that was of the plays of the year. Yeah, that yeah. was a big play. I remember um, that. We haven't talked much about Devin Smith. Uh, he seems like he's really reserved in interviews. Um, <laughs> yeah. You guys laugh in, about in, that. In interviews. Yeah. 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 <laughs> tell Great, us, uh, uh, Evan and, and Josh, tell us something about Devin Smith that we don't know. We know he's oh, fast shoot. because, man, at the combine, he ran a 4 4 at the, at the combine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We know he's headed for some big games upcoming. What don't we know about him?
0: If you asked him, I'd say that he probably would tell you that if it wasn't football, he'd want to be like a stand-up comedian or something because yep. the, the man is funny. <laughs> it's all hell. <laughs> like, he's always clowning, always telling jokes, always got like this weird-ass little I- – I can't even do it right now, to be honest, <laughs> but he got this little <laughs> funny voice. It's it, He's my dog, but funny. Like, he's just – Kind of one of those uh, charismatic, uh, but you know he gets in front of the media like you know he's
1: he. um, It was almost a mumble, like he would mumble (laughs) to the media, like but in the locker room, to Evan's point, like he we had some funny guys. He might have been the funniest guy because he was so quiet otherwise.
0: Devin definitely stand up comedian somewhere. Might need to get him on here and tell a couple jokes or something, and then we'll help him out.
2: Go on that a little bit more when you said you have some funny guys. Who else was funny on that team? Who kept you? Who kept it uh, light geez. for you guys?
1: A lot of guys. Yeah. Devin Bogard Bog- was hilarious. Bog- yeah, Bogard. Yeah, he was um, one of the funniest dudes I ever met. Dang. It's another one.
2: It, as we talk, i well, we talk, I'm Half of the right.
1: receivers. Yeah, I'm about to say our, our room was
0: comedians. a trip. Corey yeah. Smith. Uh, yeah, he is years hilarious. Past, Philly Brown. Uh,
1: Philly was so funny.
0: Shit. Uh, Verlon yeah. Reed. sound linebacker room Ty- really
1: wasn't that funny. <laughs> yeah.
2: Outside of Bogard. Where, where does the laughter come in? Are you guys making fun of the way other people are dressing? Making fun of yeah, coaches. Like, We're making fun of. Yeah. Like
0: Josh, who making you look fun like today? Way... Josh, you look like. Yeah, I uh, swear to God. You know, I got the Bill Cosby. Like, Evan, you, you look
1: yeah. like Bill Cosby today kind of thing. I used to get uh like dumbass, like Steve Urkel, <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. just stupid yeah. shit. I got it. Uh, Trust me, because I, I had glasses on then too, so I got it too. Don't worry. They said. They said I look like. They said I look like Raheem from Juice.
2: <laughs> Making fun of coaches, like, what? You got some coaches that are wearing those coaching shorts up uh, too high, or oh, what's going man. on? Yeah, man. yeah, Tim oh, Hinton wearing them too high for sure. Uh, <laughs> ed warner old used school
1: and hey, nobody was safe nobody to, was safe everybody say, jokes i this is this is a shame I'm, i don't care i'm not fucking i used to call ed warner tall head ed because his, ed, his head was so big he looked like he should have been like six foot seven so true so, though it's so true though. It's but we so used to true. kill coaches we said we said um we said luke fickle looked like uh the count we also said he looked like judge alex if you've ever seen that show I gotta, Judge I gotta Alex. post, I gotta post the uh, the picture Judge for you Al- guys in the group yeah, chat. No, out we
2: used to murder him though. <laughs>
1: oh, it was fun.
0: <laughs> hey, it's all in good fun though. You got to make fun in the monotony sometimes. It? When we put this episode up, up on well.
2: social media, you guys are gonna have to put that picture of the count. <laughs> um, anyway, so at the end of that drive, JT scores on a fourth and one. It is tied at fourteen. Michigan State gets the ball back. They drive sixty six yards. They get capped off by a one yard. TD run by Jeremy Langford. They're up 21-14. But up next comes one of the key turning points in the game. Dontre Wilson unfortunately fumbles a kickoff, giving the Spartans a chance to extend their lead in the second quarter. But the defense does a great job. A holding penalty wipes out a Michigan State touchdown, and the Spartans eventually miss a field goal. Now, when something like this happens – You have a turnover, then you stop the team, you get a penalty that calls back a touchdown, they miss a field goal. you have a coach when you're coming off the sideline that is like, we got blood in the water. Was there any kind of coach that was spiritually leading you guys after a situation like that? Or was there a saying, anything like that happened?
0: I, I got this one for sure. Do you remember all that quick change shit that we would do in the offseason, mm-hmm. Josh? So oh, yeah. Mickey Marathi was definitely one of those guys. Hey, we got to respond. We got to respond. Like, you know, whether you're tired, you're feeling like shit, you just got your ass kicked by, you know, somebody's linebacker or whatever, right? Whether it was Josh having to take that field after a fumble or the offense having to take the field after a missed field goal and take it down the field, put points on the board and continue to grab the back that momentum. Coach Mick, Co- Coach, Co- Coach Mick was the juice man, right? Him, him, he was. Schlegs, all those guys. Schlegs. So he was definitely, you're right, attack and dominate, right? He was definitely I, uh, 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 one of those guys.
1: <laughs> I used to hate these situations, so I used to fucking hate them. So mm-hmm. we would go down on defense. We'd get a stop. They would punt the ball, and then we would fumble it, and we got to go right back on the field after being off the field for one play. And like that's that's the stuff that kills a team. Yeah. Like it's tough. as a defender, you don't wanna do that. Like, dude, I'm tired. I didn't even get I didn't even get a fucking I didn't get sprayed down with Gatorade. I'm thirsty. <laughs> I'm tired. You yeah. gotta go right back out there. And it, it just it speaks to our team because when it means that much, you don't let the team score. Mm-hmm. You know, like you you literally make them earn it. A lot of teams, man, you get that sudden change scenario and it's like, all right, well, let's hey if they score, we get off the field, you know, and yeah. nobody ever says that, but that's kind of what it is. Yeah. That wasn't going to happen for us.
0: I, I, I'll say this, man. There wasn't a moment that could happen in any game that we hadn't trained for, specifically yeah. trained for, whether it was quick, quick change, whether it was dog ate our homework or we have <laughs> zero quarterbacks and we got to play with running backs and receivers. Like, we had a plan more often than not.
2: Well, I don't want you guys to think I'm laughing other than the fact that I just got Joshua's text with judge Alex and that dude looks just like <laughs> Luke fickle. He looks just like, him. just
1: like him. Oh yeah, yeah. No, we, we used to get the jokes <laughs> off any way we could. <laughs> That's well, great.
2: Whatever coach Marati was saying to you on the sidelines, it worked because on literally on the next offensive play, JT and Michael Thomas connect for a 79 yard catch and run. The game is tied 21 21 Uh, the defense then stops Michigan state and with 56 seconds left to me the key turning point in the game JT finds Devin Smith for a 44 yard touchdown pass OSU leads 28 21 and I gotta tell you I love the sign that he did to the crowd in the end zone Mm
3: -hmm. Um,
2: Mm -hmm. but that totally you know again seems to like turn the game you're up 28 21 21 you sure. fall behind three different times in the first half, but here you are going into halftime leading 28, 21. What is the scene at halftime? Is that you go to your position coaches or does urban grab you immediately? What, how does, how does that halftime scene work out? Oh, uh, we're, we're position
0: groups first, right? It, it'll be units. And then coach Meyer gets us right before we get back out there. But You know, again, what was our game plan? Our game plan was, you know, how do you attack quarters coverage? You got to defeat guys like Josh who are trying to reroute seams, and you got to put speed and a bunch of dudes up on the safeties. Because, again, we can affect those guys. Sometimes they play flat-footed, and if we got a receiver at full speed, there's no way in the world they're going to turn and make that play. So, Devin, 43-yard over-the-shoulder play over on that sideline. I'm pretty sure he ran that from a cut splitter was from the slot. So, you can't stop that. It, it's so tough to stop. Yeah. I mean, shit, they, they run it fast. They, they run it every week, still in college football and the yeah. league. Run that yeah. little inside fade from number two. You and, have to. And that's how you attack it. But, um, You know, it was the game plan that we were resorting back to. Right. 28, 21 lead changes, all this, that and the other. Right. We had a job to do. And offensively, we were starting to get in the flow of doing that. Defensively, Josh, we put you in shitty situations. Right. But you guys you guys figured out ways to get out of it. And that's how you win ballgames.
1: Yeah. You got to play ball. And for us, it was it was much of the same. Like we know where they're going to try to attack us. We know we're soft on defense. So, you know, when they make those plays, make the tackle. But you got to make the tackle with enough space so you can put your feet in the ground again and play another down. And that was always our mentality. You know, like if 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 a team on us, if they accumulated 700 yards of offense, but we got enough stops to win the game, we're not going to be satisfied, but we're going to know that we did our job. And so, you know, like get the stop. That was our mentality. Just get the stop.
2: And you guys did. I mean, Michigan State, they open up with a field goal. Ohio State leads 28-24. But- you guys then Ohio State answers with a long drive. It's a big drive, 13 plays. Zeke runs the ball in out from one yard and Ohio State leads 35, 24. This is the point I was making earlier. To close the quarter, OSU stops Michigan State on fourth and five. It's a reverse. Joshua, you're clearly anybody that watches the film of this, you're clearly not fooled here. Is this discipline? Is this instinct? or is this you just trusting your brothers on defense to hold their position and allow you to make this play So
1: I mean I I play within the conventions of the scheme so if I'm if I'm a leverage player like I've said before if I'm supposed to to make sure that I turn everything back inside I have to keep my outside arm and leg free That means on the reverse I got to be there to make sure the verse can't get outside of me So that's one of the conventions of the defense and then the other thing too is there's always uh in in Evan you know this, like you guys try to disguise your offense so so you're not giving too much away. But there's always something mm-hmm. that gives it away. Mm-hmm. And I was really really good at uh, watching the tape and, and finding those tendencies or finding the alignments, finding the split, finding the down and distance in the situation. Because offensive coordinators, man, these these are yeah. they're they're old dogs. I mean, they, and you can't teach old dogs new tricks. So if if they like to go to a certain play in a certain time of the game in a certain situation. They're going to go to that shit, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm telling yeah. you, man. The scoreboard, if a certain score, they're down by this many points. It's fourth down. It's this quarter. It, you know, they're on this yard line. I'm, I'm telling you, mm-hmm. they, they will give it away just based off the situation. And so I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it had to be something like that. It's just, uh, you know, willing to play within the system, but also doing the the research beforehand.
0: Oh yeah, Stevie Miller against Alabama. Right. That's there it. You go. Yeah.
2: It makes me think because the offensive coordinator and I could be wrong at the time was Jim Bowman, who was the uh, offensive coordinator with your dad, Evan. Um, do you yeah. remember seeing, you know, before the game, are you talking to a couple of these guys that are on the staff at Michigan State that probably oh yeah. coached with your dad?
0: Oh, yeah, definitely big time. So, <laughs> yeah, I was really close with the D'Antonio family. Um, you know, why, I, are
1: you, why were you close with the D'Antonio family? <laughs> uh,
0: yes. Yeah, so, you know. Uh, I was really good friends with their both of the, they got both daughters that were around my age and uh, we grew up together because they were in the in Trestle's, um, uh coaching staff in o2 etc cetera, etc well at this time two of us or the three of us were all in college and um, you know social media closes the world pretty as well as everything else and Kristen and I actually talked for a little bit <laughs> so I was uh, Dating, so unquote unquote, kind of together. It's unofficial,
2: with, but it's unofficial. I, with, but, I was uh, getting ready to say you you talked. Is that code <laughs> yeah. for you dated? Yeah,
0: but it, it wasn't during the time. Like we we were just friends at this point. Like I, but I I do explicitly remember going and uh, chatting with her after the game. Um, Good but for no, you. I mean I think it was just like you know I do remember Coach Bowles. I do remember going to to say hey to Coach Dino and. Heck, Coach Antonio offered me to come play strong safety for him. So you know, there's definitely a a, a really good relationship there, and um, you know, there definitely probably will be into the future. So long as I pick my words carefully. No,
2: did kidding. you consider <laughs> did Did you consider playing for him? You just said he he came to you and asked you. To...
0: Uh, I did. Honestly, I mean, I again, right? Speaking about just like kind of my family relationships and football, dad being a coach and having you know being a coach's kid forever. Um, you know at the time the whole trust turmoil was starting to kick up and everybody's like oh well you guys can transfer and all this other stuff now this didn't happen at the same time but you know reflecting back now um, you know I definitely wanted to um, play for a guy st- uh, or, or for a system that that, that resembled um, what I grew up watching and that was trust and you know more um, accurately Dino once um, he was the one offering but I think the 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 underlying determinant there was the fact that i wanted to score touchdowns <laughs> i wanted to i wanted to catch the rock <laughs> um, not to say that that wouldn't happen on defense but for me right like you know hell and and we got close if not set the record ourselves for like illinois or points in a season in you know, illinois state high school football or whatever, right like we had I think you set straight the shutouts record, buddy um you
2: know. so from
0: that standpoint it's like all right well you mean to tell me
2: i can't do that anymore <laughs> As we run into the fourth quarter, JT throws a seven-yard touchdown pass to Dontre Wilson. You guys are leading 42-24. to It feels like the game's getting a little bit out of reach here in the fourth quarter, but Michigan State comes back for a quick TD pass to close within 42-31. to In true fashion, Ohio State answers immediately with a Zeke Elliott 17-yard touchdown run. It's 49-31, Ohio State. And Michigan State closes out the scoring with a Jeremy Langford one-yard run. Good guys win 49-38. You guys get in the locker room. What is that like, I, Evan? Yeah. You talked about you had a conversation with a young lady after the game, but uh, where are you guys <laughs> headed? Uh, what happens when you get in that locker room? Uh, well,
0: it was brief because we had S- script Ohio going on in the background. So it's kind of one of those like, oh yeah. Okay, we just kicked your ass. All right. Bye. Uh, So there was that. But uh, no, I mean, I I just say elation, man, really more than anything. Like, you know, we got there, got into the locker room and, you know, I was able to look Josh in the eyes and be like, hey, at least tonight, job done. Right. You know, we we, we got more work to do, but, you know, we we answered the bell kind of thing. So, you know, there was a lot of kind of, you know, Coach Mike used to say, like, live this one up, celebrate it, you know, hug, hug up your guys. Um, You know, we'll watch the tape tomorrow. We'll run it out. We'll do whatever we got to do. And we'll, you know, we'll attack and dominate uh, whatever the next one is. There's a little Schlegel reference. Uh, But, um, you know, all in all, that's kind of the narrative.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it was one of those two where, you know, this is something we definitely weren't supposed to do. but We did every once in a while where somebody would have like a bottle of Crown Royal (laughs) or whatever. And we, you know, we would pass it around and and, and nothing, you know, out of line and, and irresponsible. But like. You know, we're going to have a little celebratory mm-hmm, sip. Mm-hmm. You know, just that was it. And it was going to be cool. Yeah. This is with the pads on.
2: <laughs> oh, come on now. Huh?
1: You know, uh, yeah. trust me, there's, yeah. Uh, there, there, there's
0: a couple empty pockets in a couple of these duffel bags that get thrown around. Walking. That's what
1: I was getting ready to say, you know, sitting on the bus ride to the airport, too. <laughs> Some of those rides were a little bit hey, long, man, so you just you have know, a little sip.
0: Shoot, football is a dangerous physical thing. <laughs> Sometimes you got to treat yourself a little bit.
2: Well, there was lots of talk prior to the game about how Urban didn't really have a signature win at Ohio State. And here's his quote. He said, I could give you the coach speak and say that I don't feel it, but I feel it. Meyer said Tuesday on the Big Ten Coaches Teleconference. I wouldn't say personal pressure, but I would say Ohio State pressure. This has been brought up a couple of times. And I'm just going to give you my... Note is that I think that's crazy when two wins against Michigan aren't considered signature wins up into that Yeah, point. I was going to
1: ask about that, especially the the 2012 game. Yeah. I'm looking yeah. that up right now.
2: Do you guys remember seeing a picture and I saw it last night on Apple TV. It's actually great if you guys get a chance to see the Oprah interview with President Obama, but do you guys remember how different President Obama looked at the end of his 8-year term? Mm-hmm. At the end The same can be said about Ohio State coaches. Jim Trestle aged, you know, unfortunately, like 28 years in the 10 years he was the coach here. And Urban was coached for what, seven or eight years. And he clearly aged. It just says something to me about the expectations. And they just seem like they're so out of whack. And why? And look, I know why people would come here to coach here, but you have to consider that, right? I mean, yeah.
0: It's, I do, but ask yourself, why, What? why are you in this football adventure? Like, what, what is, what is your purpose? What are you going to achieve? And I think in answering that question, the answer almost all the time is, well, shit, I want to win and I want to win championships. Yes. Well, that comes at a cost. Here, here is the list of those costs and here is the list of complications to get there. (laughs) Um, and it's just about managing as you go.
1: Well, I'll say this so you talk about the cost of winning a championship and, and the coaches obviously understand that and they're they're paid very well, but it takes a relational toll, obviously a physical toll, and we've seen, you know, Coach Meyer with some of the health issues and everything else and managing stress and all of that. I would say personally, um, I would give up more than I than I gave up in 2014 to win another championship. So I can understand why. Mm-hmm. Like I feel I feel like I feel like there is still a like a desire to go and do something like that again, I could see myself in that role. I won't do it because I just, I know it's not good for me, but I can understand why guys spend, you know, 30 years of their life chasing after that. Like we got to taste it as players. I I bet you it tastes just as good as a coach. Um, And so, you know, you come out of there and, and maybe you're, 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 you know, 55 years old, like urban. And, you know, you might look like you're, you're maybe mid sixties or whatever the case is, or you might feel like that. Um, you ask him if it's worth it for three championships, he'll tell you
2: absolutely. Yeah. And I probably say the same thing. It's, it's an interesting quote that he says, though, after he wins his first national championship at Florida. He said he was standing up at the podium and someone said to him, Coach, how does it feel that anything other than an undefeated season and a national championship is considered a failure? And I think that just speaks a lot to the fact that what he overcame to win that second national championship at Florida. He certainly learned that he had to adjust his lifestyle, but then he comes to Ohio State and faces, if not the same, probably more pressure.
0: The Glory Days podcast, dreams and nightmares with Joshua Perry and Evan Spencer, hosted by Chris Caldwell.
2: Hope you all enjoyed the show. It's Chris, and thanks again for listening to this episode of the Glory Days podcast, Dreams and Nightmares. If you liked what you heard, we'd appreciate it if you would subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. Mention us on your social handles, and even share it with another college football fan. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Glory Days Pod. That's all one word, at Glory Days Pod. On Instagram, at Glory underscore Days underscore Pod and Facebook at Glory Days Podcast.
1: The
0: slowest touchdown I've ever seen in my life. Dude,
2: I swear to God. (laughs) I'm looking
1: at those DBs like, bro, you all can't catch this man running in 15-degree weather looking like he's
2: got bricks for feet right now. Stick around for next episode as two more games test the Buckeyes' strength and the season continues its second half. Joshua and Evan take us to snowy Minnesota and back home for a very resilient Indiana team. Along the way, we get game action, memories, and the redemption story of Jalen Marshall you won't want to miss. See you next time on the Glory Days podcast, Dreams and Nightmares.